0: Everybody, welcome to this week's Learning the Tropes. I'm Erin.
1: And I'm Clayton.
0: And I'm your romance Album veteran.
1: And I'm the Virgin.
0: <laughs> Hi, Clayton. How's it going?
1: Good. How are you doing?
0: Good. So I have a confession to make to all of our listeners. So we recorded yesterday... This episode for The Proposition by Judith Ivory. And it was, guys, the best episode. It was so good. It was so funny. We were both the most clever we've ever been. Like, really all-star episode. And I, afterwards, just unplugged my my, my recorder without shutting it off and lost everything. <laughs> so now we're here again. Tuesday morning, 8 a.m., starting my mornings off with learning the tropes.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Uh, So I'm really embarrassed. And I was like, you know, talking to Clayton this morning. And I was like, well, I think we're just we should just say that we that we're doing it again. It seems silly not to. And he was like, it's your choice. It's up to you. But yeah, it seems silly to have to basically go through everything again and not reference back to yesterday, to the last
1: episode. Well, thank God this book. We love this book. Mm-hmm. that's that's the saving grace with all of this too. And obviously, you know people make mistakes. I've lost files and things. It's just like sometimes it's just it happens. So it's not that big of a deal. but yeah. um, I do have my side of the episode recorded. so maybe <laughs> we'll just release that as a bonus.
0: And it's just, it could be one of those just, like, you added your own thing to Clayton talking.
1: Well, maybe it'll be a Clayton and Clayton episode of Learning the (laughs) Tropes where I respond to myself.
0: Yeah. it's also was a full moon last night, and all of my horoscopes and everything were saying, like, you're going to mess up at work somehow. And I was like, "Uh, yeah. Probably, but then it was the podcast,
1: my true job. That's, that's the job that's, that's. I think that's probably better to screw up at than you're the one that really? pays the bills.
0: Exactly. And then uh, it said, you know, for yesterday, it was like, you're going to mess up and you're going to take it really hard. And then they're like, for today, you have coworkers who will be kind to you and just remember like, everything's okay. And so oh, look well, at that's this.
1: Nice. That's, ah, that's nice. Good, good. Yeah. So everything worked out.
0: I mean, in the scale of things that are going wrong at the current moment, us me accidentally unplugging the recorder is very small. I mean um, that's the
1: other thing. Yeah. I mean <laughs> I'm I've got so many other things to worry about.
0: Yeah. And I also love recording first thing in the morning now. That's sort of what we've been doing. Like I'm I always say like I'm an extreme morning person and then just as the day go on, I just get less and less. Mm-hmm until finally like ten I'm just pooping out and I'm just crawling into bed so you know you're catching me at the best and brightest I'm ever gonna be
1: <laughs> great I'm glad the, the, that, that's what I want I want yeah. you at your best and brightest and me at my groggiest <laughs> and surliest <laughs> this week's episode is brought to you by the rebellious rancher the millers of morgan valley series by kate pierce Attachment to the land, hard work, and community is what sets the folks of Morgantown apart from the everyday and always brings them back to the ranch, where they might even find love. In best-selling author Kate Pierce's third Millers of Morgan Valley romance, a rough around-the-edges cowboy and a pampered actress on a camping adventure must find common ground in order to survive the elements in the wild and each other. The Rebellious Rancher is the third Western romance in The Millers of Morgan Valley, a spin-off of Kate Pierce's successful Morgan Ranch series. This series focuses on a neighboring family with their own ranch and problems of the heart. Kate Pierce is known for her ability to create a realistic and compelling community filled with complex characters, which readers, especially fans of Western romance, are fond of revisiting. Just looking at this cover, this guy is a true hunk, real cowboy. And this is going to be a fun read. So pick up The Rebellious Rancher, the Millers of Morgan Valley series, book number three by Kate Pierce at KensingtonBooks.com or anywhere you find books.
0: Let's, well, let's talk about the book again.
1: <laughs> yes, let's talk about The Proposition by Judith Ivory. Now this was, this was published in 1999. Uh-huh. Which to me seems like not that long ago, but is 21 years ago. You, in our original podcast, our OP,
0: you were saying that this might be the oldest book we've read. And, I mean, in the past 24 hours, I could have gone and checked that and haven't. But it does, you know, we were saying that it does feel very... um, old school but it has a lot of very contemporary things for it being from 21 years ago Um, but before we get into that I just want to say this was a recommendation yes Um, so my favorite trope or one of my favorite tropes is rich heroine, poor hero and so I put out a call on Twitter for that and uh, Julia Uh, Wrote back and she said, uh, the proposition by Judith Ivory is full on gender swapped Pygmalion. He is a rat catcher, ladies and gentlemen, a freaking rat catcher dead. Um, I feel like this is one of those books that I get also like talked about and recommended like quite frequently, but I just didn't read for a long time. And then I was in a big slump um for a week or two where like I don't know I was just like rereading old romances like I would try to start new ones and nothing was really like catching me um so I was like oh let's try that one because people keep saying it's good and I was obsessed from like the first page we hadn't picked our August books yet And I once I finished this one, I was like, "Okay, Clayton, we're reading the proposition because I want to talk about it right now (laughs) and uh, and force you to read it because this was so good and so exactly like the kind of book that is ripe for discussion.
1: Now, is Judith Ivory a very popular or well-regarded romance author?
0: I mean, she's certainly well-regarded. Yeah. I mean, she's not mentioned as much as like other authors, but. I mean, she certainly should be because she has quite a lot of skill.
1: Yes. This was Most a- people
0: will talk about the proposition in another novel she wrote called Beast, which is a wild, uh uh a wild plot as well.
1: Ooh. We might have to read that <laughs> at some point as well. It's always yeah. great to find an author that feels like you could rely on their catalog mm-hmm. Especially for us, because we're always looking for we we uh, you know you do a great job of you know picking a wide variety of of books, but we also there's also that comfort in knowing we have those few authors that we can say all right if all else fails let's do one of their books that mm-hmm. way we know it's going to be quality we know mm-hmm. that it's not going to uh, be something that we are going to struggle through because. You know, a lot. Some of the books are kind of hard to get through, and that's not, you know, that's not on the author necessarily. That's that could be more on myself or or how I'm feeling at the time or like what, where my mental state is. But there's certain authors that you know you can just slide in there, and and it's going to be smooth like butter. <laughs> which, when you're reading four books a, a month for a podcast, can be really helpful.
0: But let's judge this cover. The proposition. So, there's only one cover. It's not been re-released, which I was surprised by.
1: Yeah, so I like this cover, even though it there's nothing really fancy going on. It's got nice, uh, pretty writing for Judith Ivory and the title. There's a rose and it just feels kind of, you know, it's it's it doesn't. It doesn't invoke this book specifically, but I still felt like, oh, this seems like an old school type of romance. So it it made me it made me happy looking at it. I wouldn't say it's the greatest, but I didn't hate it. Mm -hmm. What did you think?
0: I didn't like it. I mean, you're right in that this cover brings me back to like Shaw's supermarket in Goffstown, New Hampshire. And like looking at all of like the romance books in that one aisle. Um, And, you know, I imagine that the lettering would be raised and everything, but it just, so for that sort of nostalgia, like it's fine. I mean, for some reason, for me, it just seems kind of messy. And the rose is the placement is just odd. And it feels like there's not, unless I'm forgetting, like there's, There's not a red rose that really plays into the book in any significant way. Like, there are flowers, but it's not specifically rose bushes. And then the little word that says, will you?
1: It looks like a little note.
0: It looks like a little note. And also, like, never does the other one, they don't ask each other. I don't know. Unless, like, the proposition is more about her propositioning him or something. But, like, I don't, it just doesn't do it for me in a book that I, like, absolutely loved. This isn't, like, a memorable cover. Um, And I feel like it'd be better served if it was... I don't know. I think this cover deserves, like, a re-release. You know? We love Mick's mustache, and so, like, maybe it would just be, like, a giant mustache over the proposition. That could be good. (laughs) That could be memorable.
1: I Um, would love a cartoon cover with (laughs) Mick leaning down on a table and... and winnie edwina standing on the table and him looking up at her legs
0: oh yeah i mean that would be great if it was just the scene of like mick shaving and her watching like tentatively from the door like that would be fantastic
1: yeah there's there's shaving in this Mm -hmm. but they i mean we'll get into it but there is a missed opportunity here with the shaving
0: (laughs) Um, Okay, but before we get into it, Clayton, what was this book about?
1: Okay, so this book was about Mick Tremor, who is a rat catcher. He is a a dirty guy who cleans up nicely. And then we have Lady Edwina, who he refers to as Winnie, which normally I hate, but I did not hate this. And two twins who (laughs) are... Confidence men. They're trying to, uh, they have a bet with each other about whether they can get Mick to pass as a gentleman at a party that is being held by Winnie's cousin, Xavier, who's the Duke of Arles, who robbed her of all her money because they're related and she... Her father died, and so he was the – and then the grandfather died, so he was the guy who inherited all the money, and then he cut her off at, like, 17. She has a really tragic backstory. Mm -hmm. But it's all about Winnie teaching Mick how to be a gentleman because her job is she's a language coach. I mean, they – the way they run into each other is, like, we can talk about it if we want to, but that's the basic – crux of it is that it turns out that the the two twins have other reasons why they want mick to clean up and go to this party Mm -hmm. so that's what this book is about i mean it's what isn't isn't my fair lady like this too yeah but it's this is gender swapped my fair lady and pygmalion because pygmalion my fair lady is pygmalion as well
0: yeah. And I realized sort of in reading this book that I had never, I, like, I knew Pygmalion was the basis for My Fair Lady, but I didn't think I knew what Pygmalion was. And it's basically this myth that this, like, sculptor falls in love with one of his sculptures and then he, like, tries to make it come to life, uh, which I was like, ooh, that's kind of wild that you to get My Fair Lady from that. Um,
1: yeah, because, like, Mannequin is more close to Pygmalion than My Fair right. Lady, Right
0: totally although he didn't
1: create the mannequin i don't think i think he just styled it
0: that's a form of creation this is mannequin erasure <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, styling is creation <laughs> period
0: <laughs> we, i well it also in my fair lady there's no romantic element because i think even when i was like a child watching it i was like Henry Higgins is gay, right? I was always very <laughs> confused by that.
1: Yeah. Not
0: him being gay, but just that it was like weird romantic, but not romantic. And I was like, but he's not interested in her. Yeah, so, they're like
1: buddies, right? I never saw it, but you felt like yeah. a, the as a child, your, your feeling was, oh, they're like buddies.
0: Yeah, they're friends. I think I got that they were like good friends and that Henry Higgins, like, I think he has like a an assistant or something that I just knew that they were together. (laughs) I imagine it's also like, I haven't watched this movie in so long. So I'm like remembering what I thought of this movie when I was like eight or nine, but it was definitely that like Henry Higgins was not interested in Eliza. Yeah. Yeah. So this is like a romantic, my fair lady switch of him, her trying to get him to pass as a Lord, um, as a Viscount. Yeah. So this was great. And I, this book has, I think, one of the great opening scenes of any romance novel that I can remember in recent like recently that we've read and that it starts with Mick literally belly down on the ground looking for a rat and or a mouse in a dress shop so there's like ladies people are freaking out and then he looks under a little partition where there's a woman changing like trying on dresses and he sees like the sexiest most beautiful pair of legs he's ever seen in his life and becomes obsessed with those legs. He also finds and kills the mouse Um, and then after that there's sort of a, a melee where he ends up being chased and running into the tea shop and when he runs into the tea shop is when he meets Uh, Edwina and the twins and sort of sets everything in motion. But I just, there's something about a wonderful opening scene that you just all of a sudden feel comfortable with a book and you're like, okay, Judith Ivory knows what's up. She knows how to do this. She's doing things a little bit differently. This is a different kind of hero. Uh, This is a different kind of heroine. Um, And I just yeah, I loved the, the opening scene and I felt like it, it set everything up so well in that you, learn, you know so much about the world uh, and these people in the first few pages.
1: Mick is very well drawn in these first couple pages. And, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a big Mick apologist. And I, you know, I really like, I, you know, I immediately thought this is a character I can get behind. This is a character that I'm like rooting for. And I think Edwina was, again, she was somebody who I think was uptight, and got unstarched in a way that I think I prefer. I prefer this, like a this kind of one, compared to the say male getting unstarched, Mm -hmm. because this was just a refreshing change, because because Mick is almost. Not to use an overplayed kind of uh, moniker, but manic pixie dream boy, you know, <laughs> because he's just so. He just, I'm a rat catcher. That's quirky, you know, and yeah. I do, and I have this cool mustache. Aren't I quirky? But no, it's not annoying in that way, but it felt like a reversal of that, where instead of a manic pixie dream girl, he's the boy.
0: Right. And, you know, the thing that we find out about Mick is that secretly he was a duke this whole time. Secretly he was gentry, which I hate. And I think it's the only part of the book of like what would have been a perfect book that really fell flat for me. Um, But Mick really carries himself the whole time with such a sense of pride. And, you know, there is this idea that, like, Mick grew up with a lot of love. Like, clearly his mother, there were some things going on there under the surface that were pretty wacky, but, like... Well, she's a thief.
1: She stole him.
0: (laughs) She's a kidnapper. (laughs) She kidnapped him. So it's not, like, a great vibe, but, like, kind of whatever. And he carries himself with such pride and such grace, and he, you know, he is a rat catcher, but he knows that he's the best rock catcher and he tries really hard and he runs a good business and he makes like good money doing it. I just feel like in these historicals where we don't normally see people with any sort of profession, and if there is a profession, it's very vague, just like investments or something like that. And there was something really great about seeing him have so much pride in his work, to a point where he just wasn't... People weren't able to say anything about him. He had no... There was no scene of sort of like, well, I'm just a rat catcher. Like, how could she love me? He was always like, oh, she'll definitely love me. Like, I'm me. I'm great. Uh, And I'm great at
1: rat catching.
0: I'm great at rat catching. She's going to fucking live for that. But he was like, I understand society has other ideas. So, you know, maybe we're not going to work for that reason. But it was never that, like, he himself wasn't good enough. Like, he always knew that he was good enough for her. And he obviously was. Um And so just having him, this person who grew up kind of with nothing, but a lot of love and was able to walk through the world with that versus Edwina who grew up, you know, her mother basically left when she was seven and then died. Her father was like very distant and like a scholar. He dies. Then her cousin basically tries to take everything from her, but then the ton sort of starts guilting him into like giving her something so he gives her this house and she has to sort of like work and start herself and and how timid she is about life and how scared she is of life and how scared she is to really put herself out there it was a really wonderful contrast of these two characters and you saw why they each needed the other one
1: yeah when i understand that's why when when the dukedom does kind of undercut that whole idea of you can be you can have confidence in yourself and be proud of what you do even without noble blood. But the fact that he had noble blood kind of undercuts that because then that means, Oh, well, of course he's going to have confidence. Of course he's going to have that swagger because he comes Mm -hmm. from quote unquote good stock. And that is a little – that is a little bit disappointing. But the rest of this book is so good that it's easy to forget that at the end. Like everything moving up to that is so fun that I can forgive it even though the more you think about it, the more it does kind of taint the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs)
0: right because then the idea you know when you're just reading it forward you're just he's like he has his air about him and this confidence and all these things and i think you know when you read it you're just sort of like oh that's who he is he just he's born with these innate things and then looking back it seems to be like oh that was signaling that he was not really poor (laughs) You know, and I really don't like that idea. It's it's fine to be a rock catcher. It's fine to have your own business and it's fine to want to sort of better yourself. And that was the thing that was so weird, sort of like at the end, it's revealed that Mick is the Duke of Arliss's grandson who was kidnapped when he was like two. And um, he inherits the dukedom and uh, Winnie's family seat and all this stuff. And then that's sort of like supposed to be the happily ever after. But they had sort of planned that, you know, Mick had got a job as a valet and he was going to have a little cottage and Edwina was going to go, you know, they would be married and they would live together and she would like teach like local girls uh, elocution and stuff. And I'm like, that seemed like a nice life. And, And that seemed like a better life maybe than, you know, all of the extra stuff that comes with being a duke. But I think if you think about when things are written, 1999 was so capitalistic and 1999 was so forced on the idea of money and having as much money. And we were we didn't have the crash yet and we didn't have, uh, you know, all the big things that were going to come. And so I get that writing in that time, you'd be like, oh, no, this is the happily ever after is that they have a dukedom. That's what everybody wants, don't you? Um, Where I think now, sort of this capitalist reckoning we're in right now, it's like, well, no, just having a bigger house for the sake of having a bigger house is not necessarily a goal uh, in the way that I think it could have been earlier. I think that, like, that's sort of shifting now.
1: Yeah, it is is important to put it into the context of the time, I guess, you know. But right, uh, you know, and that's and that's the thing is 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 otherwise this book is so fun it's it's very sexy. well, you know he has this mustache, this virile virile mustache <laughs> that Winnie can't handle so she wants him to shave it and well do we want to get into this let's just jump into this scene because this is I think the mo the if there's a famous scene from this book, it is this, the, this, the real proposition, which is if I shave my mustache, I get to stare at your legs, your bare legs, for 15 minutes. <laughs>
0: which is so long. That is such a long time.
1: <laughs> like if you were to stare at a body part, somebody's body part, even if you were er- erotically charged by it, for fifteen minutes it would become so bizarre. You would almost feel high.
0: Oh yeah. Look, if you if you really stared at anything for fifteen minutes, the world would go turn over. <laughs> it would start talking to you. Yeah, things don't make sense anymore. Yeah, fifteen minutes is so long, and I just love that she's making Mick shave off his mustache because she's too sexually attracted to
1: it. Yeah. Because it's his masculinity. He even looks at it as his masculinity. Uh But so what happens in this is that it doesn't end up being 15 minutes. It ends up being 10 minutes broken into two parts. Mm -hmm. So the first five minutes, he gets to stare at her legs and he does not get to touch them. Then they will go and shave his mustache. Then after the shaving is completed, there will be another five minute session of staring at legs where in the last minute, He gets to touch them (laughs) and it sounds ridiculous, but in the moment, I was very into this idea and wondering how, how this was going to pan out for both of them. But, uh, you know, missed opportunity with her, not actually shaving him herself Uh, which I you know as any listener of this podcast knows you know shaving is one of my favorite tropes but I do prefer when it is the partner shaving the other partner instead of them shaving themselves so I I
0: think she was so stressed out in those moments and she was so overcome with emotion and she was so like turned on and didn't know what that meant and she would have cut his nose off there's no way she could have shaved him
1: yeah, she would have lopped that honker off.
0: It would have been done.
1: So i that's completely understandable. And that's the thing. It's got to be organic. And that makes a lot of sense that, she, that she, her hand would be too shaky with lust. Mm-hmm. So, but something in this scene happens that is not necessarily, co- I guess, kosher. Because he can't control himself at the end when he's touching her leg. And he does end up pulling an old grab-the-pussy move, which is never good. And she freaks out for a good reason, has to run out, and it totally ruins the moment. And that... But you had... When we were talking about this on the other episode, you had a really good you had a really good um, like point of view on this whole scene and what it leads to.
0: Yeah. So the thing with Edwina is like, she's somebody who's been treated really like callously and cruelly her whole life. And um, it's funny. I was listening to the woman's podcast, which I obviously a big fan of and everyone should be downloading. It's, it's great with um, Morgan and Isabeau who are super smart. And uh, they were like, you know, because Edwina has an anxiety disorder. And it wasn't until that moment that they said that. Like, meanwhile, I'm over here, like, underlying all of Edwina's thoughts where I'm like, oh, me too. That's my stress point. That's what I think when things go wrong. And then it was like, oh, oh boy. (laughs) I guess uh, I also have an anxiety disorder. But so Edwina is looking through everything through that lens when Mick sort of like cups her, touches her, it's not in a way that maybe another woman in this erotically charged moment would welcome it. Because Edwina is just not used to be treating with kindness or not used to people like lusting after her, frankly. And so she freaks out. She thinks that he's making fun of her. She thinks that he is being cruel or, or this will turn cruel. And, um, it, 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 it he bungles it and sort of womance really was the one they were the ones who sort of talked about this in a way that like made it really clear for me so i'm not going to pretend like this is an original thought um but they but it, it it sort of clicked with me and it and it made me realize why in this book we're like obviously is someone grabbing somebody and them reacting so poorly is not something that you necessarily want to see. But what happens in this book is he keeps fucking up that night where he hugs her really close, but he's like fully erected. So then she's freaked out because of his erection. It's all, it all goes crazy. And she kind of just runs. And as much as um, romances are wish fulfillment, this was a wish fulfillment in like the way that you'd want a man or, or someone in this situation to act where Mick didn't impose on her didn't go to her and say i'm sorry and you have to forgive me or anything he he really kindly just sort of says like i will leave if you want me to leave and you don't have to even tell me because i know that'll be hard for you you can just leave me a note and i will be gone um whatever you want to do however you want to proceed whatever you're comfortable with is is how i'm com- how i want to do this um And Edwina says, no, she wants to continue. She leaves him a note to say that. And then he like basically leaves her alone for a month and doesn't try anything, doesn't push her, doesn't do anything and really lets her lead um, the interactions from there on out. And, you know, especially within romance, which has a not great history for this sort of thing you know for seduction and all that nonsense it seems harsh to call it like a- assault but you know this like indiscretion this 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 poor handling this thing that shouldn't have happened um, and to just see it handled the way that you would want it to be handled with like kindness and grace and humility by Mick it makes you fall in love with him even more because he really understands and cares about her and understands is that understands that he fucked up um and doesn't try to put it on Edwina or Winnie to fix it for him you know he fixes it for himself and then he uh you know is um following her lead so it's just I thought it was really wonderful and that's the funny thing about this book too it is so progressive for a book written in 1999 where like there are so many things that happen that I am like oh this could be written in 2020 between that Mick's mother being a sex worker and him being like totally cool with it not really caring or noticing um with wi- Winnie's virginity he doesn't treat it like anything particularly special like he understands she's a virgin but like he's not like ooh I'm so happy that I'll be the first one here or whatever nonsense
1: yeah there's no uh, yeah there's yeah. there's no uh making virginity into fetish yeah, he doesn't have it. He doesn't have like a virginity fetish and she is 29 years old, never kissed anybody. He is her mm-hmm. first kiss and he's yeah. excited about that. He doesn't shame her or make her feel bad or he's not aghast by that. He, he thinks, oh, that's really delightful that I was able to be your first kiss. How cool is that? And right. she doesn't even know what a penis looks like because mm-hmm. she's only she's trying to extrapolate what uh, a male a grown male's penis looks like from lo- looking at cherub babies <laughs> penises and the the sculpture she's seen of male figures all have leaves on their uh on their genitals so she's trying to be in her mind thinking well it can't they can't have leaves down there for real can they so the 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 A penis pressing against her leg with with her background would be such so aggressive and really hard to handle because it's just this amorphous thing that's poking into you. And, you know, and and that's what he has to understand. And he does understand, which I think, you know, like is such a such a, a gold star for Mick in just his his way of reacting to things.
0: Because right. the thing with Winnie, too, is like she does need a push. Like she does need not like sexually, but like sh- she's living a very closed off. Closed existence. um, And it, which I think is typical of somebody with her background, like that, she's just afraid to go out. She's afraid to put herself out there. She's afraid to to do anything. And she really needs Mick to come along and push her to to start really experiencing life and she just has not experienced life at all that moment is also mick learning like i went too far like i thought the pushing her was going good and you know he wants her to be happier and he wants her to experience life and mick is somebody who like genuinely just loves life
1: yes take a bite he's like take a bite out of life in in a way that i don't think he realized how much different they really were right because in his mind is just yeah just do it just like let's figure this out let's have fun let's you know and he has certain things that he wouldn't he wouldn't do originally like when they tried to get him into a bathtub at the beginning <laughs> he hated it so much but then later like all great men he realizes that a bath is one of the most uh, e- e- extraordinary experiences that you can have at home. And he likes to luxurate in the bath now, but before you couldn't get him into a bath. So he was pigheaded in a lot of ways, but then he's also able to 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 pivot and, and experience new things and, like, embrace them.
0: Right. I mean, yeah, there's nothing better than a bath. But it, it is also that he thinks about Edwina... So often of like, well, she's kind to me and she's being kind. So I guess let's get in the bath. And and she likes it when I shave my mustache. So I guess let's shave my mustache. Like he does little kind things for her just kind of all the time. The great scene, too, is when, you know, when he comes downstairs, like one of the first mornings that they are living in the house together and Mick is just dancing with the cook. (laughs)
1: yes because she stealing sausages
0: yeah like he has such a thick accent from cornwall like no one can understand him but winnie basically at the beginning and so she can't under he's trying to say i like your sausages he's trying to say like this is like good breakfast and so he just starts dancing with her and she's like loving it and laughing and having so much fun um and that's sort of the scene that winnie walks into and it's amazing because she's just like oh wow so this is kind of the amount of joy that is possible in my home, and I am not participating in it at all.
1: Yeah, Winnie was not used to hearing laughter in her home.
0: I know, which is so sad. I'm Willow Aster, author and host of Living in the Pages, part of the Frolic Podcast Network. My show features best-selling authors in their latest work. I love to get a behind-the-scenes look at authors' everyday lives, their loves and hates, their influences, and often how the highs and lows and in-betweens of life affect their words. Interesting people like Taryn Fisher, Kennedy Ryan, Colleen Hoover, and the dreamy Paulina Simons join me every Thursday as I explore the lives of our favorite authors.
1: Can we talk about, though both of our favorite scene in this book which is when Winnie is singing to herself or singing to the plants
0: that's the heartbreaking you explained so that scene
1: you set it up because you did you oh. do such a great job this is your favorite scene you reminded me of this scene the last time we recorded
0: yeah. So Winnie's profoundly lonely, as we've established. She basically only has her butler Milton, who has ever shown her any like real kindness. And he is wonderful. And he's basically like a surrogate father to her and is like so kind and looks out for her. But, you know, that's not a friend. Um, And so Winnie has this thing that she does where she goes and um, at night will just like sing to the flowers in her garden and because she doesn't have anyone else to talk to. And so she goes and she has this little melody and she's sort of singing all of her problems and what's going on here and and this and that. And what she doesn't realize is that Mick is basically sitting in like a little alcove and hears her singing. And he starts singing back. He sings the same tune and he also sings like his troubles, like what he's worried about. And it's really lovely because it's Mick from the beginning really wants to connect with Winnie and doesn't has a hard time figuring out how to do it because Winnie is so closed off and he, so he's like, oh, she likes singing. this is really Mick recognizes this is really sad that she has no one else to tell her problems to other than the flowers, but wants to connect with her. so he starts doing it too. And Winnie thinks that he's making fun of her and she gets upset and she kind of just like leaves. I just loved that scene so much.
1: Yeah, it's it's him really trying to get on her level and it shows such the difference between their personalities where he is so willing to do, you know, stuff like that, thinking like we're playing along with each other. And she immediately goes to he's being cruel. He's making fun of me and that's such a horrible way to go through life because mm-hmm. you can't just assume wrong for everybody that you encounter. And I know it's difficult for her because her family has treated her so poorly. So yeah. so we we love this book. Let's just say it. This is a this is a book that I think I would have no issue recommending to even a newbie.
0: Oh, this could be a great gateway book, I think.
1: Like a virgin, because Mick is up there for me, I think, as mm-hmm. a as a hero. I'm not gonna yeah. say top five necessarily. I'd have no? to think more. I'd have to think more.
0: I would I, I was thinking it'd be like Craven Xylar Mick for you.
1: I mean, I do like Mick a lot. For some reason he's not he's not up there, but I do think he's gonna this is a book I think the more I think about it and the more I live with it he's gonna move up the rankings
0: yeah we didn't talk about another great scene which is mick (laughs) mick this is also a genuinely really funny book like i feel like we've talked about some like the heavier themes of it but like there's a significant amount of laughs that first morning too after mick is dancing with the cook They sit down to eat and he's like, you have a rat problem. And she's like, listen, gentlemen, don't talk about like ladies rat problems. And he's like, "Okay, well, and he's like, do you she's like, do you think a gentleman if we were sitting at a table, they would mention the rat? He was like, I don't know if you could see it. It'd be weird that he wouldn't mention it, frankly.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Because he saw a hole in the baseboard.
0: Yeah. That's that.
1: That is a funny scene. And he kept he kept leaning back in his chair and looking under the table which I think was also spying her her gams. But he was, you know, looking for looking for rats.
0: Yeah. And so finally, he finds a rat's nest in her carriage house. And he brings her out there, he has all of his ferrets and his dog and everything. And It's so funny because it's it's like I think early in him realizing like how much he cares for her. And so he brings her out there to like show her how he catches rats. And then sort of in the moment, he's like, actually, maybe this isn't a good idea because it is quite bloody. And he's like, and I don't know if women really want to watch me murder things. It seems like she's upset about
1: that. But his dog gets bit by a rat and he gets bit by a rat. So it's like messy stuff.
0: Yeah. And so he brings her out there, though, because he just wants to show her, like, look at this thing I'm good at. Like, he wants to show off for her. Uh, and I really loved that scene because she's also sort of like, well, why am I here? And he's kind of like, well, yeah, why is she here? But I want her here. But he he's trying to investigate within himself, like, why he needed to show her this aspect of himself. Uh, and also, he's not there in a capacity as rat catcher, but he just, like, can't help it. And he just wants to show her, like, I am good at something because... I think for him, he's a good mimic and he's like a great student and he picks everything up really quickly. And he spends all night reading and looking up words. He doesn't know. And the whole thing is like, so fucking charming. It's amazing. Uh, I just love that scene. And then ultimately, uh, she doesn't want to go to the Duke's ball because it's her cousin and she feels weird about it. And, you know, also she's just cultivated this life of being very lonely. And I think that's like an important aspect of her personality to herself. And Mick ends up selling all of his dogs and ferrets, except for Freddie to buy her address. And yeah, I was like on the floor. I was like, this is so sweet and so beautiful. And the idea that he just wants her to feel beautiful um and to accompany him there it's it's really special. I don't know, I love this book so much. Oh, and then one last thing I want to talk about and then we'll go to Goodreads list cuz I know we're probably already. I mean, th- now we're on hour 3 of talking about this book. Yes. <laughs> but um what I appreciated too was like Edwina is not a beauty. Um she like physically says it and a bunch of characters react to her that way and she feels gangly and I love that Mick is obsessed with her legs because she has super long legs and he's into it and is, he's always like salivating over the legs to the point where like she sort of realizes like oh I guess my legs are a really good feature of mine like she looks at herself in the mirror naked and um but Mick never fla- like is overly flowery about her face or never makes her discount like her experience because I do think there's something about like going through the world as a person who is not attractive traditionally like everyone is attractive to somebody Um, and then for him to just be like no you're beautiful would sort of be discounting her lived experience and instead he is sort of like well I don't know you're not like beautiful in the traditional sense but he's like I really love looking at you And I could look at you forever. And that made... I loved that so much more than had he just been like, no, you're beautiful, just no one else can see it or something creepy like that. (laughs) It, it, It was really sweet and showed he really saw her and he saw a deeper level of her than she was capable of seeing. So it's another reason I love this book.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's a great point that if you just try to say... You're beautiful. You're beautiful. No, all of your thoughts are wrong. It, mm-hmm. it does discount experience, which is not what you want to do when you're trying to make somebody feel good about themselves. Right. That's so interesting. I never thought about that. See, I learned something every episode.
0: <laughs> Here we are. And I mean, like, listen, hopefully I don't fuck up this recording, but if I do, we'll do it all again tomorrow.
1: I will oh, say. Oh, boy. I will say, if you do, I might be a little peeved. I'm just slightly. Just a little bee in my bonnet. A little irritated.
0: Yeah. You took this so well in a way that, like, I was, like, I'm not going to say I didn't get misty cry a little bit yesterday morning when I realized what I did. All right. Let's read Goodreads list. Yes. Okay. So first list. Best historical romance where the quiet, unusual girl gets the guy.
1: Yeah, I would say, uh, although, you know, again, not to, like, d- parse things too 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 much, she is not necessarily unusual for the situation that she's in.
0: I think she's unusual for the time she's in, where it's, like, she is a lady, like, the daughter of a Marquess, and she has, like, a job that sustains her, and I think back then obviously women have jobs women have always had jobs but i think a woman of her station sometimes would just have not had the fortitude to just be like okay well this is the hand i've been dealt and let me figure out what i can do from this and and create a business like her and mick are both small business owners (laughs) you know
1: yeah so okay yeah definitely then and she's also quiet. Like, she's profoundly shy. Oh, she is quiet. So that was the thing. I mean, she's definitely mm-hmm. quiet, and she definitely deserves to be on this list.
0: Best humorous historical romances.
1: Yeah, this was funny.
0: This was very funny. Uh, best romantic beta heroes.
1: See, that's the thing. He's such a unique individual. I wouldn't say beta, just because beta beta comes off to me as somebody who doesn't command it uh, doesn't have a commanding presence and he's such a commanding dude but he's not mm-hmm. an alpha in my estimation because alphas which i know this is wrong have seem to have to be assholes at least at some point in order to throw their weight around mm-hmm. and he just wasn't either of these so i think he's a guy without a designation
0: yeah i wouldn't say he's an
1: alpha or a beta
0: So Um, I would
1: say don't put him on this list because, I mean, I'm not looking for beta romances. mm -hmm. But if I read this, I wouldn't, I would think, I wouldn't be upset, I guess. If you're looking for a beta and you get Mick, you'd have to be crazy to get upset, right?
0: No. You get Mick, you're not upset. You're grateful. Romantic spectacles, heroes or heroines with glasses? Yeah. Romances with sweet male leads.
1: Oh, he's such a sweetheart.
0: Oh yeah, he's lovely. Ugly duckling to swan pygmalion romance. Uh
1: yeah, I mean broadly, yes.
0: Yeah. Um historical romances featuring blue-stocking scholars and independent misses.
1: Yeah, like we said she's a small business owner, she's uh, a smarty pants in a mm-hmm. good way. So yeah.
0: Love in the merchant class or working class?
1: Yeah. And, you know, he's in the working class. And like you said, she has a job, too. So they're both working, even though she's a lady.
0: I know. And also it gets betrayed at the end when he ends up a duke. So it's fine. I'm not bitter. It's fine. Um, Flat chested plain Janes.
1: I mean, she does mention her lack of of or her small breasts a lot. And the, I mean, this is just kind of a hard because Plain Jane, again, in some people's estimation, she is, but you know, she, to Mick, she is gorgeous.
0: Right. Yeah. Small-breasted women have bigger hearts. I take umbrage.
1: Yes, I'm gonna let you take this one because I shouldn't be speaking on that. <laughs>
0: Well, like I said yesterday, all breasts are good breasts, and I don't think the size of your breast matters for your heart, but I understand if you are a small-chested woman and you're looking for something, you, fine. You can be on this list. I will um, then
1: go out on a limb and say all breasts are are good. I, yeah. That I think I can definitively say.
0: <laughs> it's true. A fan. Uh, I'm yeah.
1: just, I'm a fan.
0: <laughs> uh, wrong side of the tracks.
1: Yeah. Well, it turns out he's not from the wrong side of the tracks, but again, let's not talk about the ending. And the most of this book is him being from the wrong side.
0: Yeah. Uh, Victorian Romance Working Hero. Yes. Best Sunny Heroes of Romance.
1: Yep. His disposition was very sunny.
0: (laughs) Desert Isle Keeper Romance
1: Genre. I could see this I feel like if I went to a desert island, I would have to bring so many more books than is probably needed. Mm-hmm. But I could see somebody this, I could see for somebody this being a book that they could, without fail, crack open and have some enjoyment with.
0: Yeah. Unusual pets in romance.
1: Okay, let's get down to it because I didn't mention these freaking ferrets. <laughs> So, this is how I know I've read a lot of romance. There's, I've read two books now that have ferrets that play into the ending of a book in a prominent manner. <laughs> so this and the Lisa Claypass book with that ferret, which I did not like, and the re- I didn't like as much. I like all Claypass. Mm-hmm. For for me, for me, it's like Claypass is like breasts right just like i like them all you know but (laughs) i feel like and i'm sure she would just love we're just really courting her to come on this show oh this guy on this podcast said that you're like breasts to him i'm sure that's gonna make her really come a running
0: oh yeah i mean like she's never mentioned anything acknowledging us which is fine i prefer it this way i feel like knowing that she listened would be too much stress for me
1: Oh, absolutely, and that she was upset that there's a lost episode she can't listen to. You would die.
0: Yeah, no way. Uh,
1: so, the thing with the the ferrets is that I just don't like ferrets, mm-hmm. and I don't necessarily like pets uh, in general in books. Pets and kids, not a fan when it comes to. Because this is a, this is supposed to be a fantasy, so don't need them. <laughs> and the 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 ferret was fine freddy was fine but i just didn't need it i don't i don't find them to be just i just don't like the look of a ferret yeah and and again so like what i'm saying is like i don't think this is so unusual seeing as how i've read two books that have ferrets as pets
0: and they're both like ferrets with personalities yeah Growing up, I feel like I had neighbors and stuff with ferrets, and they were always... No. The,
1: you, the, There's no way... I had a friend who had a ferret, and I didn't trust him from that <laughs> moment on when I knew he owned a ferret. <laughs> you can't trust a ferret owner. You just can't.
0: Oh, my God. Now we're alienating ferret owners.
1: Well, I, I mean, I guess according... I guess, you know, according to romance novels, there's, there's uh, an abundance of ferret owners. But... <laughs> I guess if you have a ferret as an adult, that's the thing. If you have a ferret as a kid, you don't necessarily know as much. But if you're owning ferrets and you're a 40 year old person, I just can't trust you. I'm so sorry.
0: Oh my God. This is only a Clayton opinion.
1: I don't know. I think the emails are going to come rolling in.
0: Uh, Yeah, I think on the other side, there's going to be a lot of ferret owners. We're going to get a lot of like little ferrets in costumes and stuff. Well, it's illegal to own ferrets in New York City, so nobody from the city. For a reason. Thank you,
1: Bloomberg.
0: No, Giuliani. I know. It's so weird because now Giuliani has completely gone off the deep end. But remember when he had that radio show?
1: I don't. I don't know if I was here for that.
0: Oh, okay. So he had this radio show. And this guy was obsessed with ferrets and having ferrets like as pets. And he was so pissed because ferrets, you know, it's illegal in New York City to have ferrets. And so... He would call Giuliani's radio station like every week to complain about the lack of ferrets. And Giuliani, there's this famous clip of him like losing his mind about this guy in the ferrets who's like, You you're a loser. Every week you call about the the ferrets. I gotta listen to ferrets. It's constantly ferrets. <laughs> it's,
1: See, you it's, have it's, to it's, Google it. it. It's
0: so hilarious. He loses her mind his mind and he keeps saying ferrets he can't he can't handle it anymore and it just makes me laugh because also this was happening in like 2003 2002 so it's like there were bigger things happening <laughs> this guy is so true ferrets.
1: i uh yeah we were still worried about anthrax
0: i mean with this... good reason i think people were so being sent anthrax we never did get to the bottom of that
1: no we did not should we turn
0: this into a finding out who sent the anthrax podcast? Yes, or no?
1: true crime. That's where we'll really get the Patreon subscribers. That's, I... See, that should be our Patreon show because we're always looking for content. We're, we're, we're teasing everybody about starting a Patreon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we did it, I think, last episode as well. This is the show we do for the Patreon is a true crime podcast about the anthrax sender.
0: Right. Well I was worried I didn't want to do a Patreon because I felt like, you know, putting up more content. But I do think investigating a fifteen year old cold case, that can't take that much time. We'll do that. We'll throw it. we'll slap it together.
1: Exactly. If we have time right. to re record an episode, we have time to do a thorough investigation on a fifteen year old cold case. All right
0: cool so if anyone's in for our 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 anthrax patreon let us know we'll get it started for
1: you no we're not if you own a ferret email email us and give me 25 good reasons why i should like ferrets
0: 25 that's i can't give you 25 good reasons to do anything
1: no you've got there's got to be 25 reasons to uh drink water
0: i guess so next list shy heroines in historical romance
1: yeah she's shy
0: tall heroines in romance novels
1: yes she's leggy but she's, she's also like pretty tall
0: six feet which i love in general i love a tall woman when i see a tall woman in heels that's my favorite because i'm like fuck yeah take up space it's wonderful i'm into it and there's not enough tall heroines i'm gonna say i feel like we need more uh we forgot a segment
1: oh uh, what- would we fuck them
0: Yeah. So, Clayton, would you fuck them?
1: Of course I would. Mm -hmm. I'd fuck Mick. I'd fuck Edwina. Uh, Yeah, there's no doubt. Slam doink.
0: I love that they basically, you know, he waits for her to come down and ask him to have sex with her. And she... You know, he basically says like, I love you. I can't go this far and have sex with you because then it'll be so hard to leave. And she was like, mm, I kind of still want to do it. And then they basically just have sex for three days.
1: Yes. It's a three day sex romp.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like outside everywhere. Milton ends up going to visit his sister because he can't handle it. The cook leaves. And it's like, I just <laughs> am obsessed with it.
1: <laughs> That's when you know it's great sex when everybody has to vacate the premises.
0: Yeah, Milton's like I can't be party to this. This is you people are disgusting.
1: <laughs> oh, Milton.
0: Uh, I love little Milton though. He's the best. Um, a yeah, good guy. I'd fuck Milton too.
1: All right, he gotta throw him a bone.
0: Why not? Listen, he's he's hanging out, or maybe you know, maybe he and. Uh, Mrs. Reed are hanging out. Like who knows? What's I? You know I do want him to get it in when he can. Okay, Clayton. What are your tropes?
1: So reverse Pygmalion.
0: Hmm.
1: Rich here. Uh, rich heroine, poor hero. Twins. Confidence game. Because they are trying to pull the wool over the uh, over Mick and Winnie's eyes, the twins, and they Mm -hmm. don't succeed. Not a success. Uh, So turns out he's a Duke. Ferrets. (laughs) And. Oh, I guess, you know, we did go over some with the Goodreads list because she is a, a blue stocking and leg man yeah mick is the ultimate leg man Mm -hmm. he loves those gams he can't get enough so those are my tropes aaron what are your tropes
0: uh rich heroine poor hero my favorite legs plain heroine reverse pygmalion teacher student because she's like his teacher tutor uh, love on a timeline they're only together for 6 weeks and so they keep thinking like after this is over we'll be apart and for I love that level of angst uh secret duke working class hero uh found family sort of milton uh surrogate fathers milton again lonely heroine. you can look touch me for only this long which i is a trope that i've read in other books and for some reason i'm blanking again as to which ones but If, listener, if you think of one, let us know. Email us because it's a trope that I like.
1: And specify the body part and for how long.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Sex romp because they just fuck for three days and who doesn't love that? And then chill with virginity because Mick is just like the way that he reacts to to Winnie's virginity is fantastic and that he's just sort of like, okay, like it's he's just very chill about it, but still recognizing that it is her first time so he's not like callous about it but i just thought he handles it really well because like ultimately that's what it is virginity is just your first time doing something it doesn't have any like weight on like who you are as a person you're not a different person after you've had sex for the first time or anything like that but uh i really liked the way that he thought about it and handled it yeah that's it great All right. So, Clayton, what has you swooning this week?
1: Well, so we are backlogged when it comes to swoons because Mm -hmm. we, before yesterday when we recorded this episode, (laughs) uh, the first time, we -hmm. had not recorded in a couple weeks. And so we, you know, I was, there's so many things to swoon about. But I think the one I want to swoon about is the one that came right to mind so happy endings is one of my favorite shows from a couple years back it got canceled after 3 seasons it's on hulu if you want to watch it but it's a sitcom about i think what a 6 six friends and hanging out in chicago it's really goofy completely just off the wall and they did a zoom reunion like a lot of people are doing in the pandemic but they did one in character. So instead of it being them just talking about the show and and things like that, they are in character reacting to the pandemic. And it's goofy. It's funny. It's available on YouTube. You can just search probably Happy Endings, Zoom, and it'll come up. But they also did it for charity, which is a good thing. I think you probably can still donate to the charity that they did it for. And you always like to see that. But... That show tickles me. I'll rewatch it a lot. I think I just went through another rewatching of it. And having a new episode was just really great. So it's the Happy Endings Zoom Reunion. You can find it on YouTube. I will link in the show notes. And that's my swoon for this week. Awesome. So Aaron, what has you swooning?
0: Well... I'm going to swoon about the same thing I swooned about yesterday. So uh, we, you know, the reason that we banked so many episodes in July is because we ended up renting a house upstate and sort of in compliance with everything that was happening in New York State with, with COVID we paid attention to. And so it was... Clayton and me, producer Patty and two other friends, it happened to coincide with my birthday. And so Clayton did a very nice thing that night where we were sitting around the campfire and he had everyone go around on my birthday and say something that they liked about me, which was so sweet. Um, And I and I really loved and it was super special to me. It um, is a lot to have come at you, too, when you don't expect it as well. But I want to swoon about my co-host Clayton. Um, You know, I don't have any men friends (laughs) other than Clayton, basically. Uh, And it's been really wonderful to get to know you over these past few years and especially, you know, doing the podcast together. I feel like this isn't something that I would be able to do with just anyone. Um, I feel like I always love hearing your opinions on things, and you're so smart and thoughtful and funny and caring, and you really um, take the time to examine things and come back with a different point of view if if necessary, and I always really appreciate that about you. Um, you're super funny and a super talented writer um, and all those you know, things. And it's been wonderful, you know, hosting this, hosting this podcast and getting to know you. And it definitely, uh, I think the term safe space is maybe overused, but it really feels like a safe space to really uh, geek out about romance and, you know, personal things as well. And, you know, we've been able to have those conversations and I just really value you as a part of my life. And so I just want to say, you know, happy birthday and and thanks so much for being my friend.
1: (laughs) Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, Obviously, you did say this yesterday. <laughs> and it doesn't have
0: the same energy to it.
1: No, I mean you definitely. I could definitely tell you were reading from your notes with this one. Mm-hmm. But no, no. But it's I. This is so nice to hear every day. And so <laughs> I think you've set a precedent. So I'm gonna need a call from you at okay. eight thirty every morning and just recite these same things. And I and think just that would nice really, things. Just yeah. nice things, new things, if you can you know again 25 reasons is is a, a good number for reasons why you like me so much no but i could come up so with much.
0: 25 reasons why i like you
1: see there we go uh, uh. but no that's very sweet i feel the same way about you i think we've grown mm-hmm. really close with in this uh with with this podcast and you know it it has given me such an ability to talk about stuff that i can't normally talk about with other people mm-hmm. and I mean, I, w- I can't imagine doing this show with anyone else.
0: Yeah, I agree. It just
1: wouldn't work. It just would not work.
0: So, yeah. So, everybody, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. help how people find us. Uh, we really appreciate anyone who takes the time to do it. Um, and we read them all you can find us on twitter at learning tropes and on instagram at learning the tropes Uh, and then we have our facebook group the learning the tropes troop that's a lot of fun um but i also want to mention we're thinking of maybe not being on facebook anymore because of um fascist reasons so if you you know we're thinking of possible alternatives if you have an opinion on that uh, on an alternative or why we should stay or something just let us know we're definitely interested and we're sort of like open
1: to hearing what you guys think and what you guys think will be best Um, yeah we're playing we're playing with the idea of courier pigeons let us know what you think (laughs) about that Because no one else is doing it. No other podcast is using Courier Pigeons.
0: Yeah. Like, do you have the space for pigeons? Um, You know, what do you think about that, you know, building codes and everything, if you're allowed to do it? Um, No, we're thinking about maybe maybe a a Slack channel or a Discord. But I don't know. It's very early stages. But uh, that's sort of what we're thinking. So we would also love to hear your guys' opinions on, on that or if there's some other form that we haven't thought of uh next week we're going to the caribbean and we're reading bliss by fiona zetti um I'm super excited about it. If you can't, nobody can go on vacation this year. So, uh, you know, the idea of reading about somebody on vacation at a resort, having a sexual awakening seems really, really good right now. So if you haven't picked that one up yet, go ahead and pick it up and we will be reading it next week. And then finally, Learning the Tropes is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you love at podcast. All right, bye guys.